Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, if you are headed into work or otherwise away from your radio, you don't have to miss out on the conversation here on Detroit Today. You can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. You download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you and listen when you are ready. Uh, Over the weekend, we learned that Michigan will soon lose a lot of its institutional knowledge in its congressional delegation. Congressman Sander Levin, a Democrat from Royal Oak, says he is going to retire after his current term is finished around this time next year. There's been 11 in office in Michigan since 1979. Representative Levin assumed office in 1983 and his brother, former Senator Carl Levin, went to Washington just a few years earlier. It's hard to know exactly what a state loses when long-serving members of Congress step down. But what's clear is that when Congressman Levin leaves in a year, Michigan will lose a lot of its clout on Capitol Hill. They will also be losing one of the more decent public officials that I have ever known in the 25 years I have been in journalism. And here now to talk about his announced retirement is Congressman Sander Levin, a Democrat from Royal Oak. Congressman, welcome to Detroit Today. Glad to be with you. Very glad. Yeah, no, it's good to see you. Um, You know, I, I, I can't say that I was surprised necessarily that uh, that you had decided that this was going to be your your last turn given how long you have been in Congress but I'm always really curious about how somebody decides okay this is the time this is the this is the right time to to step away this is the right time to go do something else uh, walk us through that process for you and how you decided that now is that time Oh, as you can imagine, there are always lots of factors. Some of them are personal, and some of them uh, relate to what's going on in the world. And there's a lot going on in the world. Is there? I didn't notice. <laughs> and so unexpectedly, some of it. And I had thought uh, there comes a time when one should go on and do other things. And I've so enjoyed uh, 35, soon it will be 36 years. I also have missed my brother. Uh, I tell people I have a a little button on my phone uh, in Washington, and every time, every morning almost, I would just push that button, and there was my brother. And he's on the other line. (laughs) And he was there. And um, after he uh, decided not to run again and retired, it was a month or so I kept pushing that button. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just out of looking habit. for him yeah and that's a really answer. that's a really sweet story and uh, so there, there are lots of personal factors i also in a way the the presidency uh, of donald trump worked both ways people say how can you stand it because there's a lot of deep feeling about it mm-hmm. in america at least the government has been changing under him way beyond anybody's expectations sure that worked both ways. It kind of motivated me because I got so intensely involved. And I've been working on some issues like this tax reform issue and health care reform. And we've had such a battle. So it motivated me to stay. But also, I thought perhaps uh, I should pass whatever it is, torch, <laughs> baton, Mantle. whatever whatever you want to call it. Right. So, um, 
a lot of a lot of times when I talk with uh, with people who've been in the Congress for a really long time <clears throat> and have decided to step away, I hear from them this sadness about how different it is now than it used to be. And and my most I guess recent memory of that is is your your former colleague John Dingell, who who told me about a year before he retired, in fact, that it just was so different. He 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 didn't feel like he could stay much longer. And then uh, the, the next year, he said he he was going he was going to leave. Uh, talk about that difference, and and, and I'm not guess necessarily talking about the politics here, but just the culture of Washington, the culture of. The Congress. Uh, how different is that now uh, than it was in 1983? Oh, so dramatically different. Uh, I think it was either my first term or the second. It was before I joined Ways and Means. I was asked by the Ways and Means Committee to join them on a trip to Eastern Europe. And it was such a bipartisan group. And the feelings were so... Uh, intensely close. And I tell the kind of, it was a bit funny, though it wasn't uh, so funny at the time, that the, the, the chairman of the subcommittee, it was a trade subcommittee, felt so strongly about bipartisanship that he decided to, sign, to, to assign honors to introduce us to various leaders. And uh, <laughs> a few of them drew what was the short straw. He assigned one of them, I think, to meet with one of the worst dictators in history, Ceausescu. <laughs> and then we went from Romania to Bulgaria and met another horrible dictator, Zhukov. And uh, Sam Givens decided he's going to be so bipartisan, he's going to pass what were honors, he thought, to people to introduce us to these uh, frightfully bad people. Yeah. But there was that feeling on the bus. We went by bus. Mm-hmm. And um, in some cases, the spouses were there. Bill Frenzo, who was thought of as a conservative, but the feeling of back and forth was so rich and easy, and it's much changed. Uh, we don't know each other. Um, we don't spend a lot of time with each other. Uh, and it's frightfully different, and I think America is short because of that. So... so I- I'm always curious of whether you feel like that's a reflection of the divisions that exist in the population. In other words, that that people are so at each other or on opposite sides that they're electing people to represent them who who reflect that. Or do you feel like uh, the division at the congressional level and the political level is somehow leading the divisions that we see among the people? I think it's both. I think uh, the country has become very polarized. You write, I think, about uh, these things a lot. Uh, People are living more politically, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. People live in areas that are more democratic or Republican, and more so than was true before, perhaps. But it's been accelerated by the structure, including within Congress, the redistricting process has really gotten so out of hand. And so you have more and more people who come from basically safe districts. Yeah. In, in, in the 90s, I was in four intense races, right. and I was one of three or four in Michigan. We had 
races where it was really competitive. And I think that uh, gave a better view of, of public issues to the public, but it also, I think, toned down the deep polarization because when people ran for office, they could not only appeal to what's called their base, but they had to broaden their approach. And so I think it's both uh, internal and external. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Congressman Sander Levin, a Democrat from Royal Oak. Royal Oak represents the 9th District here in Michigan in the U.S. Congress. He has announced over the weekend that this will be his final term after 35 years in Washington. He will retire right around this time next year. We're talking about his career. We're talking about the culture in Washington, how things have changed. In a little bit, we're going to talk about the tax bill that passed the Senate late last week, what the congressman thinks of that, what he thinks of the current presidential administration, which has, of course, done things very differently than former administrations. If you want to join the conversation, have a question or a comment for the congressman, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Um, uh, congressman, I want to ask you about your district uh, and how much that's changed since 1983. I mean, it's a very it's geographically somewhat different uh, due, due to, to redistricting. But the, the district itself, uh, you, you know, you, you straddle Macomb and Oakland counties. I think it's the only district that does that. Um, and, and those are two very different places. Um, talk about how, how that's changed over, over the, the 35 years you've been there. Well, the first, the first time I ran it included Inkster and Dearborn Heights. Did it really? <laughs> and ran through uh, uh, Southfield, wow. Oak Park. And I continually moved to the east. I couldn't move further east because <laughs> the district now ends at, uh, at, at the lake, lake right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I've, I've been blessed to be able to represent such diverse areas. And uh, now about two-thirds of the population is in Macomb and a third in Oakland. And as you say, there are some differences. But this gets uh, back to your earlier question. I have found that uh, wherever I went, if you dug in deeply to representation, to back and forth with constituents, and also if you dug into the facts and also then consulted broadly... Uh, that uh, it would end up, uh, there would be a lot of respect back and forth, I think, towards me and towards my constituents. That's been somewhat lost. I think I've been blessed that it hasn't so happened to me. But in this country, people are at each other's political throats a lot. And that's a major, major change. Yeah. But I've I've been blessed to be able to represent very diverse areas and and try to meet the challenge. How do you represent when there's such diversity and sometimes uh, a split? And I think in part, you need to do it by, as I said, having a lot of back and forth and try to build mutual respect. And in a way, that's what we need to do in this country. 
and you mentioned uh, the administration, I think one of the deepest problems with the presidency today is that there isn't that feeling of respect by him towards others. Right. And his tweets become more and more disrespectful. And that's new. I mean, we I can't think of another president who dealt with people that way, at least publicly. No way. Uh, when I became uh, a member, uh, Ronald Reagan was president. And um, we disagreed, but there was always uh, uh, respect in between him and Tip O'Neill, for mm-hmm. example, affection. Right. And I remember when we had the, the threat to the auto industry, and I remember almost as if it were yesterday being on the phone with the Secretary of the Treasury, a Republican, and we talked back and forth and how this was early on before the, President Obama took over. And there was a lot of back and forth and a lot of respect. And uh, that's been lost. And I think one of the main challenges, and that's why I'm glad as I retire at the end of next year, we still have a whole year of battles, but I I want to go over to the U of M, that's the present plan, and try to help rebuild the respect towards public institutions and in public institutions. Right. So, so you, you're going to go teach at the, at the university or research? or what's I, that think, I think a variety and talk yeah. a lot with the next generation. Yeah. At the, at the Ford School? Is that at where the Ford been? School. That's, that's going to be pretty cool. I'll have to come and sit in on some of your classes or something. <laughs> well, I'm going to invite you to, 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 to meet with people. Yeah. No, I would really, I would really enjoy that. Uh, no surprise here. We've got lots of folks who uh, want to take place or take part in this conversation. And again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Eric in Detroit. Eric, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, just a quick comment before my question. Um, I happen to have had the honor of being a student of one of the congressman's uh, first uh, political directors, uh, B. Sachs and had the opportunity to uh, sit on, a, uh, on some lawn chairs in a driveway when he was first running for the seat. <laughs> um, so it's been a while, but that sort of leads into my question. Uh, since uh, Congressman Levin has had the opportunity uh, to participate and observe uh, the process of tax reform back in the 1980s uh, and today, uh, are there any similarities whatsoever, or is it really a drastically uh, different approach to uh, changing the tax code? Yeah, uh, Eric, that's a great question. Thank you very much uh, for the call. I think a lot of people are uh, trying to either draw comparisons between what's happening now and what happened uh, in the 1980s with the Reagan tax cuts, and other people are are sort of standing up saying, yeah, even Reagan wouldn't have done uh, these kind of things. Where do you... Where do you fall on that? Oh, it's very, very different. I joined the Ways and Means Committee the year after tax reform, but uh, Dan Rostenkowski, because I had tried the previous year to get on the committee, let me sit in. He was a very, very strong personality, to put it mildly, and so <laughs> were some others in, in Jim Baker. But they, while they, in the end, made the final decisions with the president, there was a, an immense back and forth yeah. between Republicans and Democrats and within the Republican Party and within the Democratic Party. The process today has been totally different. 
there, there was never a hearing on this bill. And maybe you saw it's now kind of become famous. Uh, one of the senators took out a copy of the bill that they had to vote on yeah, just a few hours later. Then yeah. They received the full bill, and it had handwriting on one of the pages that had been uh, placed in there just a few minutes before, sure. and the senators were trying, were going to have to vote. So the pro- one of the problems is the process has been very, very, I think, closed. But also there are immense policy differences. And by the way, they snuck in a few items at the very, very end. So uh, thanks for your question. So I think it hasn't been a democratic process with a small d. And what the problem is in part is when you don't use democratic open processes, you end up with some things that you didn't know were in there, but also with a result that is easy to mask, right? Because there hasn't been a lot of back and forth. So they call this mainly a middle-class tax cut. That's just not correct. Yeah. Uh, You know, I'm curious what you think is driving uh, the, 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 the push to get this through. The latest polls talk about 49% of Americans saying this is not a good idea. 49% of Americans essentially saying, I don't really think I need a tax cut uh, that looks like this. So so what is it that the Republicans are trying to do? Who are they, who are they trying to please? So I think it's a couple of things, Stephen. It's a notion that if you give more breaks and lower taxes to the top, it will filter down. So if you give huge tax breaks to corporations, they argue that the majority of the benefit will be in increased wages for workers. Which we've seen not work for the last 40 years. No. And the studies, the vast majority say that isn't true. So you have this this top-down theory that tax cuts pay for themselves, which hasn't happened. But also the Republicans having failed to repeal health care reform and haven't had a single major victory up to now, I think they're desperate to have a victory. Close the year out saying, hey, we got something done. And I think that their hope is that the economy will continue to grow. And so therefore the consequences of this bill won't be seen for a long time. For example, the increase in the deficit Mm -hmm. It went to the Joint Tax Committee that's totally nonpartisan, and the head is selected by the majority, in this case the Republicans, and they came out uh, just a couple of days ago and said that the added deficit over time will be over $1 trillion. Right. It's a, I mean, it's a staggering figure, yeah. and it's a figure that people should uh, should see as somewhat familiar because the president blames former president for adding that much to the to the debt over the last eight years. I mean, they, they, they ran against this kind of behavior. Now they're now they're doing it. Right. And the main problem with it is where are they going to make up the difference? And the likelihood is that it's going to be made up. Uh, for example, the Joint Task Committee says the result's going to be some uh, billions of dollars of cuts in Medicare. Right. Right. Not Medicaid, Medicare. Medicare for seniors. For seniors, yeah. But also other programs like Medicaid, they will try to cut. Education, 
job training programs, etc. Do you think they'll really do that? I mean, they, they, they bark pretty loudly about that all the time, uh, Republicans do in Washington. And, and the truth is that when it comes time to actually do it, they always blink. And there are good reasons for that. I mean, there are powerful lobbies associated with seniors, of course. Uh, that that have their claws into Republicans as well as Democrats, but but there's also just the the, the backlash from voters. Uh, I, I guess I don't understand why we keep sort of it's like a game of chicken uh, that we play over and over again with this this idea of massive tax cuts without uh, spending cuts. Uh, the, the idea that tax cuts are the only lever you can pull to get the economy going and get uh, get wages up. It, it, it never progresses beyond where where we are. That's true, but but often programs are cut. For example, there's a lot of discussion about job training and retraining, and the Republicans are are saying that they support it, but they cut funds for it. And the president, for example, suggested cutting all funds for the Great Lakes Restoration right, Initiative. Right. He suggested a six billion dollar cut in in uh, money for the National Institute of Health. So there's a real danger as the deficits grow that uh, there will be an impact on programs, for example, student loans. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're they're now essentially saying that there'll be some taxation when there's a forgiveness. So there is a real consequence on domestic programs when you put the deficit up so high. Yeah. At some point, you do have to... Uh, and make and it all there's a real out. danger that uh, that it's going to happen, and some of those cuts are really in this tax bill, as I mentioned about Medicare. Sure, sure. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Vern in Highland Park. Vern, welcome to Detroit today. Yes. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, I want to ask the congressman a question. Uh, what do you think about this? In uh, most Scandinavian countries. They don't have a dividing line between uh, the parties, such as we have here. We got a Democratic side and a Republican side, and sometimes that line shifts one way or another. But they never get together on the floor. I think uh, they should be uh, randomly uh, seated in the uh, uh, Congress so that they all sit together and uh, <laughs> with each other, so that they'll have more contact. Uh, like you were saying, they don't have as much contact as you used to have. So the, the idea of compromise can be developed, redeveloped because they're so polarized now. They don't come in contact with each other, you know, and so therefore I think, what do you think of that idea? Uh, Vern, thanks very much for the call and the You're question. Right. You know, right. who agrees with Vern or who did was George Washington, uh, his his final uh, farewell letter to the country, he warned of the dangers of, you know, partisanship. Uh, there, there are a lot of people who who say he had it right. Of course, for for two hundred and forty some years since then, we haven't taken his advice. <laughs> well, you know, it's important that we have differences because human life is that way. There are differences in terms of approach. The problem is that the differences have been deepened not only because of beliefs but because of processes. And I think this country really now faces a crisis because this president is so divisive. And I think his point of view is 
the more division, the better. And he, he really plays on some of the worst instincts, I think, uh, in, in any uh, bunch of human beings. Yeah, yeah. And we're paying the price for it. And the question is, how are we going to reverse it? And I think right now what we need to do, Stephen, I think uh, your paper helps to do this, uh, the paper you belong to, <laughs> uh, is to try to discuss these issues in an intelligent way and get the facts out. So the gentleman is correct. We need to do that, understanding that democracy means there are differences and the processes have to help uh, bring us together after talking about the facts instead of just playing on these differences and, and driving them more and more deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you about uh, your colleague, John Conyers. Uh, you are one of the people who have come out and said uh, he ought to resign uh, given the, the, the circumstances that, that he faces. A lot of people are saying, and, and in fact, there's a rally this morning where people are saying, this is a double standard. Why are people calling on John Conyers to retire, but not Al Franken? Uh, another member of Congress who's been accused of of similar misconduct. Uh, tell us what your thinking is there. Why are you Why are you asking for John Conyers to resign, but not Al Franken? Well, I think actually some people have suggested it, and another case has arisen uh, where our leadership, who has no knows more of the facts than I do, indicating that uh, another member should resign. I think you need to look at each of the situations and have no double standard whatsoever. I think uh, as to John, you know, I've known him over 50 years mm -hmm. and worked with him. And I think he'll have to, in the end, make that uh, judgment. Um, and I, I think uh, we'll see what he decides to do. I do think we need to understand the world needs to change regarding sexual harassment. Uh, I, I, for example, we think of what the president said, and now he's saying it wasn't his voice. Right, which is not I mean, believable. So I, I think all of America needs to stand up to what has been too much of a pattern in in. American life and life in other places. But but what was it specifically that made you that moved you to the place where you feel like John Conyers can't serve anymore? I think he has to make that judgment. But I think in view of the the the, the allegations, the statements that have been made by people who've worked with him, I think he needs to take all that into account and come to a decision, and I guess his lawyer has said he's going to reach a conclusion. We're supposed to hear something soon, right? Fairly soon. Yeah. Okay, Sander Levin, Democrat from Royal Oak, represents the 9th District in Congress here in Michigan. Congratulations on uh, your retirement, and good luck. Well, like my brother, um, I, I'll be retiring from Congress, but in a way not uh, from public life. No, that's I'll a good thing. i just find other ways. Yeah. And I hope, uh, in answer to your comments, that we'll be able to deepen the, the decent back and forth in the public sector. Yeah.
All right. Thank Thanks. you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Up next, we're going to talk about the tax plan that's working its way through Congress with Sheikha Dalmia, senior analyst at the Reason Foundation. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank you.